1: afternoon everyone on another beautiful fall day here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Well as we know COVID-19 is still circulating in the community but with a better understanding of the novel coronavirus and the development and evolution of vaccines society is adjusting to living with the virus among us. Hopefully the days of lockdowns and travel and visitor restrictions are behind us but what kind of an impact did necessary health measures have Uh, on certain populations. And as we know, those measures were put in place to help protect the most vulnerable and and contained spread of the virus? Well, that's something a research team at Memorial University is trying to find out. NL support is seeking input from those who visited residents of long-term care facilities in the Eastern Health and Western Health regions as part of a research study on visitor restrictions and the impact it's had on the mental and physical health and well-being of visitors and residents of long-term care. My guest today is the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. It. Hello.
0: Oh, hi, Linda.
1: So what is NL Support?
0: So NL Support is um, what's known as a SPORE, a patient-oriented research support unit for the province. Uh, there's 10 of these in the country. They're in each of the provinces and territories. And the uh, SPORE, or Strategy for Patient-Oriented Research, was developed by the Canadian Institutes for Health Research. Um, that's a federal funding agency for health-related research, and some years back they decided that they needed to do something to increase the engagement of the public, which they're calling patients, in uh, the performance of research. Now, we we would think of patients as uh, subjects of research, so for example, you mentioned in your introduction there about one of our studies where we would recruit people from the public to provide us with information. But patient-oriented research is a little bit different in the sense that the patients are recruited before studies are even designed, and they have a role in uh, shaping the questions that are asked, the types of methods used, they may have a role in collecting the data, they certainly would have potential roles in interpreting the findings, and in mobilizing the knowledge at the end of the day, getting the research findings into practice.
1: You say oh. there's 10 of these uh, groups across the country, including here in Newfoundland and Labrador, and NL Support. So uh, how did that come about?
0: So the the strategy was announced by the CIHR. And I think what they did originally was they approached each of the provinces and territories and offered them an opportunity to participate. And initially they set up these support units. But they've also now, of course, got a whole program of different types of patient-oriented research entities, including uh, networks that are focused on primary care, there's networks focused on different chronic diseases, they have a range of clinical trials that test out different kind of solutions, they have a knowledge uh, synthesis unit, they have a training unit for the country, and they have a data management platform which allows cross-jurisdictional research using data from each of the, the provinces as needed. Um, So once they announced this and they put money on the table, the province then selected the university here to uh, respond to that call, and the university said it was probably best done by the Faculty of Medicine, and the Faculty of Medicine chose an individual and a small team to write up the proposal. So we did that back before 2014, uh, and we've been funded through that mechanism since
1: so what's the ultimate goal of uh, these teams? Is it, is it to improve patient care?
0: Uh, well, yes, in part. Um, so the idea was that by more direct involvement of people with lived and living experience of health conditions and the healthcare system, that you would get more targeted research and that the findings might make it from the output of the research to changing practice or policy more quickly because that gap has been an issue over the decades. Um, in engaging people in the process, you can also smarten up your questions to make sure that they're really patient-centered and that you're measuring outcomes that make a difference to people in practice. Um, so I think those were some of the goals of the uh, patient-oriented research approach. And I
1: want- ask you a little bit more about um, patient-oriented research and specifically this particular research project when we come back after the break. My guest today on On Target is the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. We'll be back right after this. Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show, midnight on your VOCM. And we're back. Uh, we're speaking today with the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. And he was just giving us a little overview of NL support and its its goals and, and what it does. And um, Dr. Barrett, I, I was struck while you were speaking that there has been or there appears to be a a growing movement towards patient-oriented care and I noticed some myself personally some big changes in recent years. Uh, You know when you enter the healthcare system you know it's kind of an intimidating time you're a little out of your depth if you know what I'm saying you've got your own concerns about your health but I found uh, in a, a recent visit that I had within the last couple of years, that oh my goodness, the attitudes and the the way that you're treated and has changed so dramatically. Why is it important?
0: Well, um, certainly we're engaged in trying to build a culture whereby the um, input from the public is a major driver of healthcare processes. Um, there's a concept called the learning health system, which we can talk about if you wish, where patients or public would be a major source of information regarding what's working, what's not working, identifying priority areas, gaps to be fixed, etc. In our support unit, we have uh, a group of patients engaged as the Patient Advisory Council, and they provide us with guidance on all sorts of work that we're doing. Uh, They can provide guidance to other teams as well that we support in trying to uh, find patients as partners. And uh, sometimes we actually do our own research. We have a research and evaluation team called Quality of Care NL, which has been working for the last number of years with the goal of getting right intervention to the right person at the right time, generally speaking. And uh, we would engage the patients in all aspects of the work that's being done there.
1: Ultimately, does uh, more, uh, a greater emphasis on patient-oriented care, does it have an impact on uh, recovery and outcomes?
0: Well, it it can for sure because in many uh, chronic conditions, the involvement of the person themselves or their own support network makes a big difference to the outcome of the condition. Um, the healthcare providers can do a certain amount, but the person affected really has to take ownership of their condition to get maximum outcome.
1: So how did this idea of conducting a research study into the impact on on uh, the impact of visitor restrictions on um, patients in long-term care come about?
0: Right, well that's actually an example of what we might call patient-initiated research. So as I mentioned earlier, we have patients or partners engaged at all sorts of levels of the research process and in this instance, people from our advisory council thought this was an area of concern. I guess they had some lived experience of having loved ones in long-term care and were affected by the visitor restriction policies in place at the time. So together with some of the research uh, team members here, they came up with this idea. They fleshed it out, developed it into a survey, which is currently active and available for people if they would like to participate in it. We'd encourage that.
1: So how do you, you put this call out to people in Eastern health and Western health? Um, what are you looking for specifically?
0: Right. So it's Eastern and Western because the um, people in those areas were uh, willing to disseminate this um, call for the survey to be completed to people resident in their facilities, to the visitors coming by those facilities and through a variety of channels that they would have to reach the public. Um, What we're hoping is that people can complete the survey online or they can contact us if they would need an alternative way to complete this. Um, Everything is available on our website. That's nlsupport.ca and you'll see the link there to the survey very quickly. Now, it is only open till the end of the month, so if you're uh, willing, I will encourage people to get online and do this fairly quickly if they would like to participate. Um, The survey, it, it asks you about your experience of the period of visitor restrictions, it will get some specific details about your loved one and their situation and then ask about um, how you were impacted or they were impacted by a variety of uh, lockdown measures that were present at the time.
1: And what about if um, somebody had an experience but says, you know what, uh, Nan has since passed away, I, I don't know if this is even relevant anymore?
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly from the point of view of um, their particular loved one's experience, it it won't matter as much now, but what we're hoping to learn is things that are more broadly applicable, so their experience will still be valuable. Um, if your um, particular loved one has passed away, it, you can still participate in this.
1: So uh, you've had this open for a little while now. Uh, the deadline is extended to the end of this month. Have you been getting much uh, response?
0: Yeah, we have some response, yes, indeed, from both eastern and western regions, Um, but the more we can get, the better. It's true for any kind of survey research, you know, you want a broad diversity of inputs, and the more uh, people's experiences we can capture, the better we can really understand what the impact of the lockdowns was, and this will be relevant to future policy making, so we would share this with the public, also with um, public health officials, etc., in terms of if they had to make decisions in the future in a similar situation, say there was a flu outbreak or something, that they would be aware of this side of the equation and uh, able to take that into account and when they decide to make certain policy choices.
1: Are there common themes in what you're hearing so far?
0: Um haven't really analysed the data thoroughly yet, so I would hesitate to answer that question right now, but obviously we will be quite willing to share that information in the next few weeks.
1: So how long will this uh, process take? Uh, Obviously, you've got this survey open until the end of the month, but how long will it take to analyze the data and and come up with some uh, conclusions or recommendations?
0: Yeah, Um, well, typically it takes a few weeks for us to run through the data, and then we have patient partners engaged in this process. So they would have to be, uh, along with the research team, looking at the information, trying to figure out what are the key messages from it, And then developing um, ways to communicate the findings out to everybody who might be interested in knowing about it. So that could take us, I would think, at least till the end of the year, more or less.
1: Now, uh, we all recall (laughs) back, you know, over the last three years that uh, visitor restrictions and and from time to time, visitor restrictions are still necessary in long term care homes. but it's always those difficult decisions, trying to weigh the greater good. Have you had any sense of what kind of an impact they have had on, on patients and, and their caregivers?
0: Well, from personal stories, for sure, not necessarily from the data we're gathering in the survey, but uh, you know, people in the Patient Advisory Council and elsewhere have talked to us about the significant impact that has had in terms of the well-being of the residents, their mental health being impacted considerably, um, there's many instances where I've had people say, I visit my relative every day because I provide them with a lot of their personal care needs. And I'm afraid that if I'm not there, that need won't be met as well by the staff in the facility. Um, there's impacts on the families from their lack of contact with their loved one, but a bit of worry, a bit of concern. I mean, you may remember early on in the restrictions here, there was a story of somebody going as far as taking a ladder to the window of the room in the long-term care facility occupied by their loved one just to try and maintain that communication. So if people are willing to go to those lengths, obviously it's very important to have that type of um, connection. For
1: sure, and I mean, uh, you know, just anecdotally we've heard some heartbreaking stories about uh, people who, in, in some cases where there may have been some cognitive decline, simply didn't understand what was happening.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's true.
1: Um, what well kind of? Uh, sorry, uh, are you are you learning? I know you you haven't uh, assessed the data yet, but is there anything you're you're learning that may be unexpected?
0: Um, I I can't honestly tell you that yet. Um, whenever you do research, there can be unexpected findings. Uh, oftentimes, we will anticipate the main thrust of the results, but the detail may matter. Um, We're certainly learning the value of having the patients engaged in the process though because it has meant that the survey is really asking about what they feel would be important to the the, uh, visitors and the residents of these long-term care facilities.
1: How will your research uh, findings then be applied? Um, You mentioned you're going to be sending this out to the healthcare authorities, but how will they be applied?
0: Well, that that's the issue. So um, knowledge mobilization is always uh, difficult. And in academic circles, we often end up writing papers, but papers aren't terribly impactful in terms of changing the way things are done. So in this instance, it would be much more a direct sort of um, one-to-one contact between our team, our patient partners, and those who are in decision-making capacities. Uh, in this instance, it would be Maybe the um, leadership within the long-term care sector, the public health sector, the Department of Health, uh, regional health authorities and so on. So we would be reaching out to these people and looking for any and all opportunities to, um, to share the results with them and to discuss the implications and possible future directions so they're kind of prepared ahead of time.
1: Do you think there's an openness and willingness there to to make the necessary changes um, given what you're you're learning?
0: Um, I, I would say yes. Um, we, when we do our research, we usually try to do what's called integrated knowledge translation. So we would involve those decision makers and policy makers in the research process from the beginning. So they're aware that this is happening. They've been aware of the nature of the questions being addressed. They they know who's doing this, how it's being carried out, et cetera. And it makes it easier then to um, share the results in a meaningful way at the end of the day.
1: Our guest today on On Target is the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. And uh, when we come back after the break, uh, Dr. Barrett, I want to ask you about how all of this is tied in with the health accord, because we've been doing a lot of talking about the health accord of late when we come back right after this. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. Our guest today is the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. They're working on a uh, study right now into the impacts of uh, COVID restrictions on uh, patients and visitors to uh, long-term care. And uh, Dr. Barrett, um, is this in any way tied in with the health accord? Uh,
0: Yes. So um, the health accord is very broad ranging, as you probably know, and I won't um, spend too much time talking about that in general today, but... The Quality of Care NL team, which is part of NL support, were very involved with the development of the Health Accord recommendations. So The members of our team were um, support for the work groups. Uh, We developed much of the evidence background for the recommendations that were put together by the Health Accord groups. Uh, And I participated myself, for example, on the Digital Technology Committee that would look at updating our um, health information systems here in the province. So everything we do is kind of tied into that in general now. Um, So this one project that you're talking about in the long-term care sector is just a small piece, but we would have an interest in um, implementation and evaluation of many, many aspects of the health accord going forward.
1: And are you involved in any of these uh, calls to action in in helping health authorities, you know, meet some of these recommendations?
0: Well, yes. So um, one of the key components of my role at the moment in the support unit is to encourage development of a thing called the learning health system. This is an idea that was um, developed in the U.S. some years back and is becoming quite pervasive in systems in North America, Europe and other parts of the world. And in doing that, um, you can actually encompass a lot of the different improvements that you need to make to get better outcomes. So as you probably know, the um, Health Accord focused a fair bit on what we call upstream things, things like the social determinants of health. So health care itself can really only impact health outcomes to a small degree compared to the influence of um, people's social well-being, their environment, their food security, etc., Um, We're helping to um, develop those integrated data sources that will bring together information from the social services side and the health side to fully understand people's uh, issues. Um, The learning system will also need broad input from the public, from healthcare providers, and from the operational side, as well as um, legal and policy frameworks to ensure that it works most effectively. Um, What we would need really is A lot of access to frontline data, data that isn't currently even available for analysis to understand care processes and then to have learning teams able to respond to issues, uh, priority setting mechanisms in place at the, say, the provincial health authority level, engaging the public in this process and ultimately um, carrying out what we call learning cycles, whereby you go from understanding an issue developing an evidence-based solution, testing that out and then coming back to scale this up so that it's more broadly applied right across your, your systems.
1: This might be an unfair question for me to ask, and you can let me know if uh, if you're not comfortable with it. But in terms of uh, the health accord, and I know an extraordinary amount of work has gone into that and what you're talking about now, these learning health systems, uh, how are we doing, generally speaking, in terms of making the necessary changes to health care? Are we lagging behind other jurisdictions? Are we on par with them? Are we ahead of some?
0: Uh, well, I can only really reflect on what comes out in the general media on that, um, and I do see some of the evidence, you know, in the literature across the country. I don't think we're that different from the rest of Canada in the sense that everybody's facing the same challenges with um, healthcare workforce, uh, the pent-up demand of uh, undelivered services during the lockdown periods, etc., and all the chronic health conditions that are uh, coming to the fore in more acute manifestations now. Um, in terms of developing a learning health system, we have a leg up, I think, in having done the Health Accord process because that's a really uh, pervasive planning process that has been engaging people from right across the province. And there is movement, uh, certainly my colleague, Dr. Parfrey, who was part of the leadership for that Health Accord, is currently working in the Department of Health to ensure that there is movement on the, the recommendations. Um, and the academic side, we'll do our part to support that as best we possibly can, as well.
1: I asked you earlier if there was an openness and willingness within the the healthcare systems to to make uh, necessary changes towards uh, greater uh, patient oriented care and uh, presumably um, improve outcomes. But what about the the government side of things? Uh, is there an openness and a willingness to to make these changes on that level as well?
0: Um, from what I can see from outside, it does appear that that's the case. Um, I have contact with people within government departments periodically for the work we do, and they're they're certainly willing to listen. Um, they come asking questions. They look for evidence and information from us on a regular basis. And to me, that suggests that there is certain uh, willingness to move forward with uh, evidence-based policymaking as well.
1: We're speaking with the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett. And uh, Dr. Barrett, we're going to take another break. But when we come back, I want to ask you um, about what else NL support is working on these days. What other projects you are uh, focused on when we come back right after the break. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And we're speaking today with the clinical lead with NL support, Dr. Brendan Barrett, and they're currently conducting a survey on uh, the impacts of COVID restrictions on patients and their visitors uh, in long-term care. But what else is NL support working on these days?
0: Program that's open to anybody, public included on uh, topics of interest um we elicit the topics of interest from our interested public as well as research community um uh, we hold regular webinars on uh, these um, uh, subjects and you'll be able to find on nlsupport.ca uh, an indication of when these happen and how you connect to them um there's also a nationally developed foundations in patient-oriented research training which is a, a kind of a more prolonged interactive workshop type of uh, option that's available through us um, which help people who want to get involved as either patient partners or as researchers working with patient partners and that will also be offered between uh, the 20th of October and 1st of December this year. Um, we have an upcoming uh, publicly accessible uh, science health and research education share summit that will be offered on november the 10th here it's a showcase for a lot of the work that we've been involved with or have supported over recent times and that one is possible to attend in public in person or online uh, again it's free to sign up for that and that can also be accessed through nl support um, we have a few open uh, calls for funding support So we're able to um, support graduate students who are interested in health research and having patients as partners. And they can apply to us for um, some of their uh, living support needs during their graduate program. We have a health professional-led research funding stream. So this would be for people who are in the health professions and who wish to carry out some work with patient partners to examine uh, an aspect of what they do or to test out a solution or a change. Uh, Examples there would be, we've had um, people in the diagnostic imaging world wanting to do some work on patient-centered appointment setting and so on. Uh, And then finally, we have a community-oriented research project development grant program for indigenous communities that's open, and that will help Indigenous communities develop a research question that we can then uh, help them go and get some funding to complete that research. Um, those are some of the, the ongoing activities of the support unit.
1: And you've got a number of uh, funded projects that uh, would affect people on a, in a variety of ways. Uh, have you got any information on some of those?
0: Yeah, um, there's quite a number. Over the years, we've funded quite a lot. Um, They've ranged from um, an assessment of how well you can do uh, autism treatment for people using distance measures like telehealth, so virtual care in a way. Uh, That was funded with staff from Western Health. Um, We have currently um, a healthcare professional-led project that's looking at Integrating Physical and Mental Health Care for Individuals with Mental Illness. And they're doing a mixed method studies to test out a lifestyle intervention that supports recovery-oriented approach from uh, from mental health challenges. Um, We've recently also supported a study that's looking at people's understandings of the risks associated with the use of cannabis products during pregnancy and lactation. And there's a student project that is looking at creating a body dissatisfaction measure for transgender populations to help understand the specific differences between the challenges those populations face and others with maybe uh, more general eating disorders.
1: Those are some wide-ranging projects that that affect various aspects of society. So how do you make these decisions on who gets the funding and you know, you must get a lot of these requests?
0: Well, we do, and we can take more, actually. I think we'd encourage, as you said, diversity. Um, One of the lenses that we have to hold up to all of the projects that we support is how do they do in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion, Um, because we do really see, as you've pointed out, certain pockets of the population that are less well-served than others or maybe less often engaged in health research or have their particular issues not as commonly thought about. Um, So, yes, we would look at that. Um, There's also the process for reviewing funding requests would engage our patient partners in the review process. And we look strongly at how the the engagement process works for the research team. You know, are they really meaningfully engaging uh, patient partners in the process? And then we look at the impacts and the scientific rigor of the approach, just to see that we're supporting the best quality um, research we can.
1: And I suppose that's why it's so important to get that feedback from the public to to give you things that perhaps you might not have normally been pondering on.
0: Very much so, yeah. And as I said, in a learning health system, you have to have an open door really for the public to provide input. And this is something that we would be encouraging the uh, development of new mechanisms to uh, get input from the public in the health and social systems.
1: So how did you become involved with NL support?
0: Good question. <laughs> um, so, I'm clinically, I work in kidney disease care, but I've always been involved in more general health services research. And uh, there isn't a huge community of people with that background in medicine here. So, when this opportunity came up, it seemed like a relatively natural fit. And I've enjoyed my time with it for sure.
1: So, how many people are involved in NL support?
0: Um, well, as staff, maybe probably about 10. Um, with change over time and different range of mix of skills. Um, Some of them are IT specialists, some are policy analysts, some of them are data analysts, et cetera. Uh, But we also have, of course, our cadre of patient partners. So the whole enterprise probably is 50 to 100 people with a lot of external connectivity as well.
1: Of course, because uh, these projects are usually run, I would imagine, by the people you're funding.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, so that's uh, how long has it been in operation here in Newfoundland and Labrador? How long have you been, you know, helping people learn more?
0: Yeah, so we started in 2014. It began fairly small. The objectives of the program changed as the CIHR learned more about what could be done, and um, the ultimate goal at the end of 2026 is that we have a sustained culture of patient engagement, and that we have really focused on how to do research that. Has an impact and changes um, health outcomes and health experience, while at the same time being focused on value for care, value for money for inputs.
1: Satisfying work, I would imagine.
0: Absolutely, when it works. But of course, it has its own challenges from time to time.
1: And do you get feedback when you're getting it wrong? Maybe.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we would. Um, now we we communicate um, with. The as many of our audiences using a, a tool called Practice Points, and um, that's also accessible on the Quality of Care NL website. Um, that one is more not so much aimed at the public, but at decision makers and policy makers and pr- uh, providers. And we try to interpret what we see in terms of healthcare data, and sometimes people disagree. So to broaden our view, there we've in- recruited some. Um, Uh, clinical and social leads to also look over the data with us before we put out our conclusions.
1: So is it more goal-oriented or is it a bit of an evolution, if you will?
0: Very much an evolution and we do have goals. There's a thing called a logic model that guides us in terms of where we want to end up at different points in the evolution, but you have to be adaptable and uh, respond to change. So as things are changing in the province here, we will hopefully be able to do that.
1: So the projects that come your way, who who typically are, are behind them?
0: Uh, that would range from uh, students who are maybe starting into graduate programs They may have a supervisory team. It could be people within the healthcare system who want to work on an issue within their own particular area like the mental health one we talked about. Um, it could be projects that we initiate ourselves. We have an ongoing um, series of interventions aimed at trying to improve use of healthcare resources. Some of it is linked to a program called Choosing Wisely, and that has the approach of trying to reduce the use of low-value care, so things that don't make a difference, not to waste your resources on those. Uh, We get engaged in those kind of projects, and at the same time, we're engaged in projects that are looking to increase the uptake of valuable care um, areas of focus could include for example stroke care immediate post-stroke management trying to reduce disability uh, and this type of thing
1: so it does sound like the whole healthcare system is going through an evolution has it has it been stagnant in the past or are you seeing more active change if you will
0: Uh, No, I wouldn't say it's ever been stagnant, but uh, healthcare evolves fairly slowly, and there has been too much of a delay in implementation of effective solutions. So part of the change that we're trying to encourage right now is that there be more active learning, and hopefully engaging the public in this will ensure that that happens.
1: So to circle round uh, uh, back to the uh, research study we, we started with, and this is about the impact on patients and visitors to long-term care facilities during COVID restrictions in particular, um, how can people get involved? The deadline is fast approaching. How do they get involved?
0: So anyone who'd like to complete that survey, so if you're either a resident within the Eastern or Western health regions and you've had some experience with having somebody in a long-term care facility, uh, during, particularly during but also before and after the lockdowns, um, please go to nlsupport.ca and you'll see a very big link there in blue that asks you um, to participate in the survey. Uh, it, doesn't take too long, it's mostly fairly short questions. Uh, They will ask a bit about yourself and your loved one and then ask you a bit about the experience that you've had. Uh, All this data is collected anonymously and there is um, information on the website about the process involved, um, how voluntary it is. There's absolutely no coercion whatsoever. If you want to participate, we are very happy to have your input. Uh, But if it's not something you wish to do, obviously, Please don't feel any ob- obligation to do that.
1: And is that where the interaction ends, or, or will, is there um, are there opportunities for follow up? Because I mean, some yeah. people might feel that it's very daunting, and you can't really get the what you're trying to convey out in a couple of sentences, if you know what I mean.
0: Yes. No, for sure. Um, We have an active recruitment uh, going on for patient partners. So those who'd like to be more involved on an ongoing basis, um, again, you can reach us through the website or uh, NL support email, which is on that site as well, uh, and express your interest. And we'll be happy to talk to you about how you can participate. Um, With regard to the results of the research, um, for the public, we will disseminate this in part through our uh, newsletter and other mechanisms that are aimed at um, social media dissemination of results, for example.
1: Well, this in particular affected so many people, and I've heard so many stories from from different people, you know, friends and family, and 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 strangers who've just called into our newsroom, for instance, to tell us about the impacts it's had. So I think it's going to have a lot of broad-ranging interest when uh, when these results come out. Uh, uh, Doctor uh, Barrett, I really do appreciate your time this afternoon. It's fascinating work. Anybody who wants to participate um, is in, uh, can go to the website nlsupport and follow the link.
0: And thank you, Linda. It's been a great opportunity to talk to you and uh, share what we do.
1: Thank you so much. That's uh, Dr. Brendan Barrett. He is the clinical lead with NL support, uh, and they have been uh, or they are participating currently in a survey of um, patients and visitors to long-term care during the COVID restrictions and the impact that that's had on uh, on those people so uh, if you're interested just go to the website tomorrow we're going to talk about a little village at the end of the road anybody who's driven up the beta peninsula knows that the end of the road is BetaVert itself, and there's been a film, it's been five years in the making, that uh, focuses on that community, and how it's been uh, struggling, I I guess you could say, since the COD moratorium, um, and uh, how it's also surviving. Uh, So we're going to have one of the filmmakers on our show tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening everyone, have a great day.